Amen. Good morning, everybody, and thank you, Pastor Luke, and thank you, everybody, for uh, being here today. We are excited. Tell you what, it has been an amazing year. I thank God for 2020. I'm telling you what, there's a lot of craziness, but I tell you what, I thank the Lord. It has been an amazing year of spiritual growth in our personal life, in our family, and in our church. And all through it, Jesus has been there every step of the way. And let's give him glory, would you? Come on now. Let's give him glory. Yay, Jesus. <laughs> Woo, I tell you what, I'm so excited about what God's got ready for us in 2021 and uh, just making it through 2020 in some respects seems like a blessing. But then when we look forward to what the Lord's going to do, and I look forward to filling up this beautiful new building for God's glory and I'm confident it's going to be done. Uh, it's amazing, really, in the midst of everything going on right now to even have people meeting. And, and then for those of you that are online, and thank you. I understand we're having a few little technical glitches here and there, but thank you for your patience. And, but I will tell you this, folks, if you're online, and I know some of you are not feeling well, and God bless you, I know it's difficult. And uh, I know every time I get really sick, I just feel an oppression. So in the name of Jesus, we just rebuke that oppression, and I... I'm amazed and grateful that you're online and you're listening, so thank you. We love you. You are our online family, and I can't wait till things open up a little bit where you can come and, and uh, you feel a bit more comfortable. But for those of you that are here today, and certainly plenty of room for social distancing, and that, that's a good thing, but uh, we're so uh, grateful that each one of you are here. Now, in your worship folder, and by the way, if you didn't get one, you can make sure you get one uh, online there text us or email us. But uh, uh, if you got one of these prayer cards, would you please take those? Uh, that is uh, to be used uh, for pest control. Uh, that guy in the middle there, if you want just to scare all the mice out of your house there. but uh, And uh, no, that's a thorn between two beautiful roses there, uh, Pauline and uh, Abigail. But um, we, we put these out. We try to put them out every year around Christmas because uh, we really mean that. Brethren, and sisters, pray for us. Would you pray for your pastor? Pray for all the staff. Pray for our ministry. This is such a key year. Folks, this is a key point. Uh, you know, uh, it is, uh, it's a wise group, that, uh, and it's a wise people that understands when there's a paradigm shift. And there is a paradigm shift in our country. Uh, we know that in the religious world, folks, there's... Uh, you know, they talk about a pandemic and a flu and all that. You want to talk about something that's unprecedented, and that is the change in our country towards religious freedom. That is a totally new uh, and a tragic, a sad uh, look at religious freedom. And so, folks, uh, in a, at the same time, never in the history, 200-plus history of America, at that same moment, God is doing something in our church, a paradigm shift. He is making us a people that can make a difference, I believe, in this whole region. I'm confident in globally, and I just am excited about the, what God's got planned for us. And so uh, I hope that you will pray for us. Now, we are uh, taking a, a little parenthesis from our series on the attributes of God. Who is God? Who is God? Now, Oprah Winfrey's got her idea who uh, God is, and I know some of these liberal politicians have their idea of who God is, and some don't even believe He is. 
But we know that the only way to find out who God is is through Scripture. And so we uh, have embarked on knowing God. And the God that you know is the God that you imitate. If all you know is gambling and Hollywood, then that's your God. But we want to know the God of Scripture. And so we embarked on a series called Who is God? What we've done for several years now, though, is to go through the book of Revelation in the first part of the new year. There's a reason for that, because it prepares us for what's coming. And I think this past year, uh, the, the part we went over really prepared us for sure. When I talked about the pale horse of death and talked about the different things there. But now this year, we want to continue in that series for a bit. And so we'll take a few weeks to talk about the book of Revelation. Today's message is called The Day All Hell Breaks Loose. And that's not just a colloquial say, not a cursing. I'm telling you what, this is literally in Revelation chapter 9, verse 1. It is the day when all hell breaks loose. If you know anything about American pop history, you know that in 1985, there was a, the highest grossing film was called Back to the Future. It's a science fiction movie. The story falls at follows a teenager who, in an accident, was sent back to 1955 in a time-traveling DeLorean. And if you, don't, if you don't know what a DeLorean is, well, you just need to watch that movie because that's a great old car there. But uh, they're trapped in the past inadvertently. He uh, doesn't realize it, but he prevents his future parents' meeting, threatening, therefore, his own very existence. He must go back to the future. Back to the future. And that really would be a good saying for what we're looking at today, because we're going to go back 2,000 years to when God gave a vision to John, and yet it's about a future day from now, in a very real sense. Now, let's take a look at the chart here, if you would, please put that little uh, a chart up there. It talks about what we're doing. Now, the next event on the horizon if we're looking at the horizon of history, is the rapture of the church, the leaving of God's people, the bride of Christ. Scripture says we are not appointed unto wrath, and the seven years of tribulation is definitely a time of wrath. Immediately upon the rapture, there's the judgment seat of Christ where a believer's works are judged and rewards certainly are given. And then we have the seven years of tribulation, and that is where we're in now. The next event then is the thousand-year reign of Christ on this earth. I'm talking about the dirt out here, the very dirt we're on. It's going to be different, but it'll be the same dirt, and it'll be buildings. Some of the buildings may last through the seven years of tribulation, and this is going to be a a time on earth, but those who are alive in, with Christ are going to be in heaven, will have this new glorified body. There's going to be a whole bunch of people that get born again during the tribulation, and those are the physical saints that are going to enter into the millennium, and they're going to be flesh and blood just like we are today, although we'll have a, a new body. Now, folks, during this tribulation period, then after that comes the millennium where God sets up His reign, followed by the eternal uh, state, which is preceded by the great white throne judgment. 
What is, why do we study the book of Revelation? Well, in Revelation chapter 1, it says there's a blessing to those who read it. There's a blessing to those who follow it. But I think there's at least four reasons why. And that is, number one, that Revelation unmasks the evil powers. It is so easy to get deceived. And if you would listen to the media, they would tell you this and tell you that, folks. I'm glad that we have the truth in our hand about the future. Revelation helps us understand true victory. Number two, it understands, helps us understand what true victory is. Folks, we have read the last chapter, and I know how it ends. Everybody's worried the climate's going to do this or the climate's going to do that. Folks, when you read Scripture, you know exactly where the thing ends. And then number three, Revelation lifts our eyes beyond this world. We realize that it's come Lord Jesus. Jesus is coming. And so we don't have to always be looking at this world. And it's easy to get so focused on what's going on that we just get all kind of worried. But folks, my eyes are on Jesus. And that's why the book of Revelation is actually, that's why it's called the revelation of Jesus Christ. The revealing. That's what it's all about. If you have a King James Version, it'll say the revelation of St. John the Divine, but actually it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. My eyes are on Jesus. I'm looking for the upper taker, not the undertaker today. I'm looking for Jesus. And that's why it's the revelation of Jesus. And then number four, the reason we're studying the book of Revelation is because it reminds us, as always, that God is in control. God is in sovereign control. And so, well, we don't like perhaps things that go on. It doesn't worry us because God's got it all under control. And I just want to challenge each of you, you know, uh, this, when people say something like, uh, you know, man, 2020 was terrible. 2020 was horrible. I'm so glad 2020 was, uh, is gone. Uh, I would just challenge you uh, to change the narrative and to switch the tone, would you? Just tell people, say, do this, say, you know what? 2020 was a great year. It was. Why was it so great? God taught me so many lessons. I learned to trust him more than ever. I saw him provide. We watched as he healed people. We watched as he did things for our ministry. He strengthened my marriage. He strengthened my character. I mean, folks, 2020 was a great year. Change the narrative on people, folks, and show them that God is where our hope is. And I don't mind complaining a little bit. I do it. But I'm telling you what, folks, we need to remind ourselves that in the midst of everything, God is in sovereign control. And so this morning, we're going to talk about, uh, we're going to go to chapter 8, the last verse, and then we're going to go to chapter 9. Let's all bow our heads for a prayer. Father, we thank you this morning, and I bless you. That, Lord, you have been totally in control in 2020. And, Lord, we're worried, we are afraid, we're upset. And yet, Lord, we read the Bible and we realize these are all things that you said would come. And thank you for warning us. Thank you for your truth. And I pray that today, Lord, you'll give us your amazing grace. Thank you for these that are here. Thank you for these that are online. Lord, we have people all over the world that to write us and email us. Thank you for them, Lord. I pray that you'll speak to them even right now, wherever they might be. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's go to Revelation chapter 8, if you would. The last verse there, verse 13, we're going to begin in just a moment. 
Now, the Apostle John has been given a revelation. He has been exiled to an island not far between Greece and Turkey, a place called Patmos. There in Patmos, he is given a revelation. Now, John got a revelation. We don't get those kind of uh, uh, ordained revelations. My revelations usually come when I have a little too much pizza, too late at night, or like lately, I've been hankering for a mincemeat pie, and I said, honey, we've just got, I couldn't find, I drove all over town looking for a mincemeat pie. Now, I know some of you folks don't even know what a mincemeat pie is, but it is great. It's kind of like a raisin pie. Nobody had them. Finally, my wife was so kind, and she got me one. I ate half the pie yesterday, and uh, I had a revelation last night, and uh, But that's not the kind of revelation that John had. He had a revelation from the Holy Spirit, not from mincemeat pie. And the revelation that he got was from God. What did he see? He he saw all these wonderful things we've been reading about. Now we come to this time of judgment. And it shook him to the core, shook him to the bone. There are, um, let's... We're going to, well, let's look at verse 13 and we'll come back to that in a moment. Look at verse 13 and beheld, I heard an angel flying through heaven, the midst of heaven. We saw this uh, last year was our last verse we looked at saying with a loud voice, whoa, whoa, whoa. And so this uh, angel who had the trumpet to the inhabitants of earth, and that's a very well-known statement which is recurring. By reason of the other voices, which are the trumpet of the three angels, which are yet to sound. And so there are these seals, a big scroll he sees. And this scroll is the, uh, the title deed, really. It is the, the plan of the ages. And as each seal is opened, a big scroll, like with uh, wax seals, and as each seal is opened, this happens. You may remember last year we talked about the red horse, peace, taken from the earth. (laughs) Then the black horse, a financial crisis. And then the pale horse, death. Why, what ensued in 2020? You probably thought I was a prophet, huh? Listen to that again. Death, financial crisis, and virus from the pale horse. Well, that's what each of these seals. And then the final seal, the seventh seal, breaks open, and there are seven more judgments called the trumpet judgments. And so the angel stands up and trumpets, as was often the case in the Old Testament, just like we did a few weeks ago. We blew the shofar, and the shofar announced war or announced uh, an assembly or something like that. And so this angel is announcing the first trumpet, the second trumpet, and so forth. Now we come this morning to the uh, fifth trumpet. Now this fifth trumpet is preceded by, as we just read, this angel announcing three woes, or the word woe there means damnation, or judgment, or sentencing, or execution, or curse. Those to the inhabitants of the earth. Go back to verse 13 there. The inhabitants of the earth. And that's a key statement. You ought to underline that. It just means 
people that the, that's all they have is the earth. They live in the earth. They think earth. Their future is earth. Their past is earth. They're all about the earth. They're just inhabitants of the earth. I am so glad, folks, that while I live here, this world is not my home. <laughs> I am just an alien here. I am just passing through. We're all concerned about aliens from this country, this country, folks. As a believer in Christ, we are the aliens. We are. This world is not our home. And this world is inhabited by earth dwellers, people who think about their own lives and think about money and just whatever else, but not about Jesus. But God's people think about something different. And that's why the trumpet says, you better stop. Whoa. Now, as bad as the first seal was and the second seal and the third seal and all the way through the seventh, and as bad as the first trumpet and the second trumpet all the way to the now fifth trumpet, what's about to happen, the final three trumpets, five, six, and seven. In Ezekiel 33 and verse 11, it says, God has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. It, God, it gives God no pleasure when he has to send a person to a fiery hill. That's why God gave 600 warnings plus in Scripture. He constantly is warning us, don't go to hell. Now, if someone looked at me 600 times and said, accept Christ, accept Christ, put your faith in Christ, don't go to hell, stop, turn, repent. If they said that 600 times and 600 times I rejected it, then I don't think we can blame God if people go to hell. People sometimes get all upset and saying, you know, oh, God is so mean. I'm telling you, God is not mean. He is loving and merciful and full of grace. And the realities of the book of Revelation show us just that. Now we come to the ninth chapter now. We've set it up. Chapter 8, verse 13, whoa, whoa, whoa. This is the first of those woes, the first of those very destructive things. And that is when a pit opens called the abyss, or as the you know, authorized version calls it, the bottomless pit. And it opens, and out of it comes the most wicked, the most vile things you ever imagined. All right, let's talk about this first section here, verses 1 through 12. We're going to look at the bottomless pit demons. Number one, their pit removed. If you're taking your outline, number one, their pit is removed. It is gone. Verse 1, and the fifth angel. In fact, let's read it together, if you would, please. Bottomless pit. Notice what it says there, the first part of that phrase, and the fifth angel. Who are these angels? These are angels who are the secret service of God's heaven. They are the ones who attend to the president, in this case, the king of kings. They are in his presence. That's why some theologians have called these angels, the ones who announced the trumpets, the one who uh, announced the seals, they call them presence angels in that they are in the presence of God. They are patiently awaiting for the moment that they get to announce. And that's finally the moment. This fifth angel gets up and blasts the trumpet. And here is that woe. I saw a star fall from heaven unto the earth, and to him was given the key to the bottomless pit. Now, we've all seen falling stars. 
They are asteroids, they are comets, they are space debris. They might even been some sort of a satellite or something. We've all seen them. It's harder to see because of all the lights we have here, but if you go to the desert and uh, you go out there in the middle of the night, you will see things that's just amazing. It's kind of a freaky feeling in one sense to see a star fall, but it's also an amazing feeling. But folks, during the tribulation period, we are told back in chapter 6 that stars are going to fall like figs. We happen to have a fig tree at our house, and I will tell you when it's harvest season, they just come down like crazy. They are all over the ground, just dropping. God says so many stars are going to fall, and that's one of the reasons that this earth is going to be such a cataclysmic place, because these asteroids are going to be smashing into the earth. You never know when an asteroid or some loose rock is going to come, and the Bible says they are falling, but this one is a star unlike any other, because this star is not an actual asteroid, as we see here. It is more like a star, we would say a star athlete or a movie star or some music star, because notice what it says, that this star, this emperor of evil comes, and he is a star, this particular star is one who is given keys. The book of Job talks about morning stars. Job chapter 38 and verse number 7, when the morning stars sang together, all the sons of God shouted for joy. Here it's referring to the fact that at creation, there were a whole lot of stars that were singing, meaning there were a whole lot of angels that were with God. From this, we can infer this, that the angels who are demons were there at creation. They fell after creation. We could at least infer that from Job 38 and verse number 7. And so the, and that's good to remember, folks, Satan cannot create demons. Satan is not a creator. He's a destroyer. He is a murderer, the Bible says. And so God is a creator. He doesn't create demons, but he did create angels. And as we'll see in a little bit, there was a huge rebellion in heaven. Pretty terrible, isn't it? Even in a perfect place like heaven, sin gets a foothold and it it uh, about one-third of heaven's angels turned into demons. The book at uh, Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12, describes this falling star. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? And so in Revelation 9-1, this star that falls is not an asteroid. It is, in fact, Satan, Lucifer. And I think it's verified even further in Luke chapter 10. You may remember in Luke chapter 10, verse 18, Jesus had sent his disciples out. They had gone out and they had prayed for people and people were getting healed and lives were being transformed. It was amazing. And they just couldn't believe the power of God that was attending their ministry. And Jesus said, uh, yep, you... You saw the power of God. And he said this, remember in Luke 10, verse 18, he said to them, I beheld Satan as lightning falling from heaven. The meaning behind that is that every time you see God work, you are reminding the devil, the devil how he falls, how he fell so many years ago and he's going to fall again. Yes, the fact is Satan is a fallen 
angel. He does not have all power. He's powerful. But this world is going to be a terrible place when the Holy Spirit leaves at the rapture. All the believers are gone. The bride of Christ is gone. And then the demons that have been working are let loose. Satan then comes to earth in a whole new power. And he is given keys to a pit. Look what it says in verse number one. The omnipotent Lord actually allows, in fact, gives him a key to the bottomless pit. That word there is actually abyss, A-B-Y-S-S. It means some kind of a shaft. It's actually a Greek word that indicates like a shaft that runs down to some dark cavern area. And so there, this cavern is there. Now, what is in this pit? Well, let's go to 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 4. What's in the abyss? 2 Peter 2 and verse 4. For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them into the chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. Now, our God is omnipotent, and He can give keys to whom He wants. Our God is also omniscient. And God can let some demons have their way within reason. He can, also let, he can also put some demons in prison, and that's exactly what he did. Some demons move in heaven. According to the book of Daniel, they fight with other angels. You may recall Daniel talking about Michael fighting the, the archangel, the devil. Some, some demons fight in the heavens. Some demons move among earth, among humanity. But there are still demons that this world has never known. The Bible says they are in an abyss. They are presently chained in this evil place. Look what it says in 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 4. It gives us another word, cast them down to hell. They were cast down to hell. It is a Greek word, tartaros. Tartaros is a interesting word because it's actually a word from Greek mythology. Isn't it amazing how the Holy Spirit took this word from Greek mythology, even though it wasn't the Tartarus of Greek mythology, he was trying to explain it to humans and he was saying, if you want to know what this abyss is, if you want to know what this bottomless pit is, then think of Tartarus, this place that is a place where very evil, evil is. And that perhaps would give you an understanding of this abyss. The book of Jude gives even further explanation. Jude 1, verse 6, And the angels, which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of this great day. Now let's get our minds wrapped around this. Here is this star who falls, Satan. He then comes to the earth. He is, they're in this Tartaros. They're in this dark place with a, that has a shaft to it. And there in this place, these demons are currently abiding. Now, who are these? Well, we're not told a lot about them other than I can tell you this, they must be the worst of the worst. Now, if the church of God is gone at the rapture, the Holy Spirit, therefore, the salt and light is gone from this earth. Demons that have been working now are just unleashed. 
The ones in heaven now come to earth, and the ones on, in this bottomless pit come to the earth. Folks, can you only imagine what it's going to be like? You'd say, well, what are these demons like? Well, God gives us a little indication in verse number 7 of Jude 1. Look what it says. These demons, what are they like? They kept not their first estate. Verse 6. They kept not their first estate. They were rebellious angels. Very rebellious. They were so rebellious, they rebelled against even nature itself. Look at verse 7. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah, the cities about them in like manner, who gave themselves over to fornication, even more, going after strange flesh, and are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. What happened at Sodom and Gomorrah? It was a place of intense pride. They were about as proud of cities, prosperous as you can imagine, and idle. The men and the women had all day long, they were, I don't know why they were idle, did they have so much money? But all day long, they just came to the point where all they could do is think about violence, think about sexual things, and they perverted themselves. In fact, they perverted themselves so much that when we think of Sodom and Gomorrah, although lots of sins occurred there, the main thing we think about is that of homosexuality. And I remind you again this morning, folks, that homosexuality is unbiblical, it is unnatural. My friend, in Leviticus chapter 18 and Leviticus chapter 20, God puts homosexuality right next to incest and bestiality. Folks, I'm telling you, there is no way that that can be good or, or righteous. No way. In fact, God says it is perverted. That's the word here. That kept not their first estate. It's a, it's a perverted thing. These things are perverted. And so God says the demons, so let's get in our minds now. What's going to happen during the tribulation period? These demons, these perverted demons who have, they are the worst of the worst. They are so bad that if God hadn't chained them in this abyss, humanity would have been evaporated years ago. God kept them in this abyss. They are perverted demons. They are sexual demons. What's going to happen during the tribulation period is the worst of the worst. Look at verse 2 now. And he opened the bottomless pit. You can only imagine the emotions of John the Apostle as he is seeing this vision. I'm sure he's thinking, oh my. And there arose a smoke out of the pit, a smoke as of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened by the reason of the smoke of the pit. Now, folks, I think most people would agree that this world is out of control. You look at every nation in the world. There's financial crisis. There is all kinds of uh, hatred and between uh, people groups and racial hatred, uh, between uh, the genders. I mean, it is terrible between countries. There's everything that you can imagine going wrong with our world. Folks, there is chaos. And yet, when this time happens, the demons that are let out are like a, like a smoke. A, is it real smoke? Well, it could be, because the Bible talks about this abyss being a, a pit and uh, goes down to the, probably the center of the earth. Since the center of the earth is full of molten lava, it would only imagine that we're talking about real smoke in one sense. 
But I think really the idea here is more of a satanic darkening, a mental, emotional, evil atmosphere that just pervades the earth. Now, I've been in a few places that just are, feel evil. I mean, I'll tell you what, I've been in a few situations, it's just a boy just gets like this. Woo! It is like creepy, creepy evil, filthy, just like, can't wait to get out of here. Just, uh, I don't like this place. I've been in a few places like that. Well, that's what's going to be like during the tribulation period. There is this smoke that covers the earth. There's this evil, filthy smoke. And you talk about pollution. We're talking about pollution at its worst. This is moral pollution. And I'm telling you what, the climate change crazies are going to get all worried about this at this time when they see this smoke. And I'm old enough to remember the great uh, garbage collector strike in New York City. You may be old enough to remember that. But around 1970, when I was just a, a young guy there, but uh, I remember seeing pictures of New York City, mounds of garbage. 10,000 garbage collectors went on strike in the same day. And they said that in the first day, it wasn't so bad day. But after 14 plus days, it took them 18 days. Finally, they gave them all the money they wanted (laughs) because there was so much trash, so much refuge, so much terrible that they, 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 if they didn't get rid of it, they were going to be diseased. That's folks, what's going to happen during the tribulation period. You talk about trash and garbage and pollution. That's what God is saying here. This pit just unleashes this terrible, evil smoke of sin. Now, not only the pit removed, but number two, their power released. Look at verse three. Out of this smoke, let's read verse three together. And there came out of the smoke locusts upon the earth, and unto them was given power as unto the scorpions of the earth have power. When we read that, we can't help but think back to the book of Exodus and the plague of the locusts. And we know how terrible this these insects can be, even today. Even this past year in Africa, many parts of the desert there in Africa, these creatures have come and created so much havoc. In fact, they are so terrible that they can just strip a field in a matter of minutes. And if they come flocking, that's like a darkening of the sky. But these insects, you will notice, are not real. Because these are actually frenzied demons. Notice what it says. They have power. Look at this verse here. They are given power. That's part of verse 3. The earth have power. They are, have so much power. Now, we're not told how much power, but if you look a few verses down, it says they torment people. They torment people. And God says the action of these tormenting demons who are like the, like the sting of scorpions. It's interesting that when a scorpion stings somebody, and it's a severe one, they often have the same reaction of someone who we see as demon-possessed, especially in the Gospels. They fall on the ground. They writhe in pain, often foaming at the mouth. They're incoherent. All the same symptoms of a person that is demonized. The Bible says, and so I would infer from all of this, that the torment that these demons have, the power that they have, 
is mental anguish, fear, and, and, and perhaps even physical. But look what it says in verse 4. And it was commanded, strange, another reason why these are not actual uh, locusts, but some sort of demonic plague. It was commanded them that they should not hurt the grass of the earth. They don't eat the earth or any green thing or any tree, but only those men, those people, which have not the seal of God in their forehead. So they don't go after the vegetation. These are locusts that chew on people. It says they torment the people, at least the inhabitants of the earth. There's one group of people that they can't touch, though. Who are they? There are people who have the seal of God in their forehead. Now, we've heard of the 144,000, and back in chapter 7, 12,000 from each of the tribes are sealed by God. These are spirit-filled Jewish believers. They get saved during the tribulation. They are tremendous ones who do not take the mark of the beast, 666. They take the mark of Christ. They take the mark of Christ. So we could feel from this verse that we're talking about the 144,000, but it's not a leap for us to think that everybody who gets saved during the tribulation period will be sealed in their forehead. That is, it will be very visible, whether it's something they wear, whether it's something they actually are put on their forehead. Look what it says in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 19, nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knows them that are his. And I think pretty much all of us know who's saved. All you have to do is listen to somebody for a few minutes, usually, and you can usually tell if they have the seal of God. You can watch somebody's actions for a few days, see what they do on Sundays, and you get an idea if they have the seal of God. You can look at someone's checkbook and see if they are true believers or not. The Bible says it's a seal. That's why in Revelation 22 and verse 4, it says, and they shall see his face and his name shall be in their foreheads. Up front and center, folks, we should not be ashamed that we are Christ. Jesus is my savior. I have this seal. I'm unashamed of Jesus. And here they are. Well, um, these people who don't take the seal of God are exposing themselves to great danger. These who take the seal of the devil, the Antichrist, are putting their family at risk. I hear people today, you know, just kind of flippantly saying, well, I can go to God or I can go to church or I can accept Christ. And it's flippant. I will tell you something, friend, and those of you that are listening online, friend, do not expose your family. It's one thing to send yourself to hell, but sending others who go through this period of time and when all the believers are gone and when great uh, delusion comes to this earth and all these demons are here, folks, you've exposed your family, your wife, your husband, your children, your grandchildren, your families. And look what happens, verse number five, and it was to them was given that they should not kill them, but should be tormented for five months. And the torment was the torment of a scorpion when he striketh a man. Scorpions, folks, the creepiness of just thinking that you're laying there at night, ah, what is that? The Bible says these demons have power, such power that they just grab a person. John chapter 8 and verse 44 says that Satan is a murderer, maybe just the fear of dying. Look at verse 6, in those days men shall seek death. 
They'll be so scared and so afraid. I just want to die. But here's the crazy thing. They shall not find it. They shall desire to die and death shall flee them. No wonder this angel stood up and said, whoa, if you think the first seal was bad, if you think the second seal was bad, if you think the third seal was bad, if you think all these seals, if you think in all these trumpets have been bad, these final three trumpets, whoa, whoa, and it gets worse from here. People are so tormented that they want to die, but they can't die. The death rate will stagnate and then it will plummet. Nobody's dying. Nobody can die. In fact, today we live in a culture where everybody wants to live. We just got to live it no matter what it does to the economy, no matter what it does to anything, everybody must live. Strange, isn't it? Because there's coming a day, maybe not too long from now, when everybody will be wanting to die. They would give anything to die. They will take drugs. They will attempt suicide. They'll put a gun to their head, but nothing will work. The internet will be filled with people typing in, how do we die? How do we kill ourselves? They'll jump, in, jump into rivers and won't dry, won't be able to drown. The Bible says that this earth is going to be without hope, without hope. It's been said you can live a few weeks without food and a few days without water, a few minutes without air, but not even one second without hope. And these people have lost their hope. They've accepted the mark of the beast. They are wanting to die, but can't. These, this demonic oppression is terrible. Their pit removed, their power released. Number three, their presence revealed, verses 7 through 10. That would be one thing if you could get a sense that it was a physical locus, but it's not. Because notice how many times in verse 7 it says it's like this. And the shapes of the locusts were like, not actual, but like horses prepared into a battle. And on their heads were crowns like gold, and their faces were as the faces of men. Like. It's not actually, it's like that. And so this is a mental health nightmare. People are so afraid, and they're, it's going to be like scorpions and but these are not any scorpions you've ever imagined. It says, first of all, they're like horses prepared for battle. Demons, defiant, armed, hell-bent like a wild horse. Heads crowned like gold. The word gold there, crown, is Stephanus, the victor's crown. These are like UFC fighters saying, we will win and we will do whatever. Their faces like the faces of men indicating likely very, very, very smart demons, outsmarting even the most intelligent. Verse 8, strange, really, when you think about it. Faces like a man, and as the hair of women, their teeth were as the teeth of lions. Very vicious. And I will tell you that the indication here, by the way, I think just a footnote, a face like a man and a hair like a woman kind of reminds me of those who are transitioning, supposedly, from a male to a female, and they have a voice like a man, face like a man, yet hair like a female. Folks, I will tell you that in Scripture, that's never looked at favorably, 
And also, it's not a fact because no matter what we do to our body, we are born male or female, and that will never change. And the Bible says during this period, there's this demonic uh, sexual perversion, these demonic demons that are just uh, running around. There's mental anguish. People are wanting to commit suicide. There's uh, these creatures that have face like men, a hair like women. It's just a terrible place. They're vicious. Verse 9, they have breastplates, as it were, the breastplates of iron, meaning perhaps they have this personal body armor that is impenetrable. The sound of their wings is the sound of chariots of many horses running to battle. I saw the other day these new uh, battle um, uh, equip uh, little battle dogs. They making the, these dogs, they, they little robots that are robot dogs, and they have guns, and they can just go over anything, and they make all this noise. You can only imagine hundreds of these little robot-type dogs just, you know, running up and uh, with body armor and the sound of their wings. I tell you what, it's a shocking thing. Is that what's going to happen? Verse number 10, tails like unto scorpions, there were stings in their tails, and their power was to hurt men for five months. The idea here is to hurt people. Now, the devil would kill everybody if he could, because he's a murderer, but uh, they don't murder people. They just hurt them and hurt them bad. Folks, that's why we need to make a change. And those of you that are listening and those that are here, let's make sure that we're on, the, we're on the right side. Make sure that we're headed right. A few years ago, I don't remember exact, but I do remember something like this happening. We were on an airplane. The flight attendant stood up, one of those cheerful kind. And before the plane took off, she said something like this. We had been transferring from plane to plane. And she said, uh, this plane ladies and gentlemen, is headed for Salt Lake International. And if Salt Lake City is not in your plans today, we recommend that you deboard because we are going to Salt Lake City. Now, friends, I remind you this morning that this world is headed for death, destruction, and hell. We need to change. We need to deboard if we don't want to be there. And this presence is revealed. And then finally, their premier, their leader is revealed, verses 11 and 12. He is exposed, verse 11, and they had a king over them. The king, which is an angel, a demon, perhaps even Satan himself, the angel of the bottomless pit. What's his name? In the Hebrew tongue, Abaddon. In the Greek tongue, Apollyon. One, verse 12, one woe was passed, and behold, there came two woes more thereafter. Abaddon, Apalion, meaning destroyer. He is a destroyer. And I tell you one thing, Satan is always a destroyer. Go to church, get in your Bible, love Jesus, serve God. Homes are strengthened, lives are helped. Serve the devil, live for the flesh follow the world. It destroys marriages. It destroys health. He is a destroyer. His name is destroyer. And it's interesting because he leads the locusts. And we're told in Proverbs 30 and verse 27, locusts have no king. It's an amazing thing about locusts are that they come and they, if one dies, they don't, they're not like uh, 
bees that have a queen and have to have a queen or they don't exist. Locusts doesn't make a difference. And yet these particular locusts have, uh, they're swarming, swarming. It is a terrible swarm of evil. And the name of this king is the angel of the abyss. Abaddon, Apollyon, maybe it's Satan, but probably not. Satan is not the angel of the pit. He's actually in heaven. He's back and forth. And so probably this is just some crazy, uh, powerful angel. And he is a very powerful, powerful angel. Look what it says in verse 12. The first woe is past. The first woe is past. Now, folks, this is a terrible, terrible day. And yet through it all, God keeps giving warning after warning. This is a warning. We live in a strange day today. I've heard said people say, you know what? They mean well, I'm sure. When your life gets bad and when you get to the end of your rope, just tie a knot in that rope and hang on, thinking that somehow they'll be okay. Friends, if you know that this morning that for there's a way to hold on to that rope, but it doesn't hold us. Pretty soon our fingers begin to slip. Really, the real answer is to just let go of that rope and fall into the arms of Jesus Christ. I'm not hanging on to any rope. And I'll tell you one thing, this world is coming to the end of its rope. And I know many people are just trying to hang on. I let go a long time ago of this world. I'm not holding on to the end of the rope. I'm glad that Jesus is holding on to me. And I'm glad that as I put my faith and trust in Jesus, we don't have to go through any of this. These are warnings. These are reminders of how this world is going to change. And certainly we ought to give that warning to others. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed here this morning. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. What a holy awe this comes and it puts in our mind today. What a truth it uh, puts inside of us. What a holy fear. We understand the terror of the Lord. We remind ourselves of the days that are coming. And as we do so, we want to tell others about Christ. We want to be sure of ourselves. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I'm going to ask our worship team to come. If you'll just remind us this morning, there's a day coming. And for those of you that are listening there online, I want you to know we love you and we're praying for you. Do you know Christ? Is he your Lord and Savior? Are you sure that you have the seal of God? The seal of God in your forehead. I've accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior. If you're here today, accept him. Put him, put your faith in Jesus Christ. That is the best and the only way to be sure that all of these things, thank God, they're not for us. I don't have to hold on to the end of that rope. I just let go and he is in my heart and I, he has got a hold of me.